0: The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? Are your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. And you have done. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow. And shall be as though they had never been. But... In Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharid, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the old and the new testaments and the truth that it is. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just remove every distraction from us this morning. Help us to be encouraged with the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We we all love reliable things, don't we? We all we love we love reliable. Um, things. People, when they, especially when it comes to vehicles, sometimes uh, they love a reliable vehicle. When you hear somebody talk about their li- their uh, most reliable vehicle, sometimes it wasn't the best looking vehicle that they had. Sometimes it was just an old beater and they'll, they'll sit on the porch and tell their grandkids, you know, we had this car and it looked ugly, but man, every time I got up to go to work, it would turn over. It was just so reliable. We, we love Reliable things. I had a 1982 Chrysler New Yorker um, that I paid $400 for when I uh, moved to Minneapolis with it. Um, And we had another vehicle which was much newer. And in all the winters in Minneapolis, go out to there, the the 82 Chrysler New Yorker would turn right over. It was a reliable vehicle. We love reliable things. Coaches love reliable things. I asked Brad Coons, who's the football coach at Plano, um, how important is being reliable in Sports and particularly with football. And he said this, he says, Coaches will not play athletes that they cannot trust or count on. A coach would rather have someone who is average but always show up and do what is asked of them than someone who is, who has all the talent in the world but the coach knows the kid could randomly miss a practice, a game, quit, or do other things to let the team down. Counting on someone who is not reliable. It's like going deer hunting with a known cannibal. You can go out time after time and have successful hunts as long as you put in the extra effort to help the cannibal to be reliable and trustworthy. But the minute you let your guard down, you're dinner. Um, it's important that we are reliable. That was, that was Brad's attempt at humor. Uh, <laughs> it was not mine. Um, but I used it anyway. Uh, we, we, we like reliable, uh, we like reliable things. Reliable, being reliable is important. And often we, we ask in our own lives, is God reliable? Is God reliable? Because life is filled with a lot of big ifs. Small, very small word, but it just pulls at us often, the ifs that we think of. If this takes place, or what if this happens, or how am I going to handle this if this takes place? And we have, it, it, The word if causes big questions for us. And as Christians, we want to know, if this takes place, is God going to be reliable? Is God going to be there for Because there are difficult things that are taking place in people's lives. And that's the exact reason why the book of Obadiah was written. Very short prophecy that God gave Obadiah, but it answers some of the biggest if questions that we have. If and is God reliable reliable. When Obadiah wrote this book, the nation of Israel had been destroyed. They had sinned against God. They had not followed God's ways. And God let the judgment of God come upon them. And the nation of Israel was attacked by the, Bab- was attacked by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And they were in exile for years. And there was a small band of Jews that finally came out of exile, maybe 40,000 of them. And economically, they're destroyed. Politically, they're barely anything. Emotionally, they're destroyed. They had all these promises of God. He he pulled them out of Egypt. God said, you're my chosen people. I will be with you. I'll be with you. They sinned against him. He let the judgment come on them. And now there's this group of people who are just struggling to survive, filled with all kinds of questions. Was this the way their existence was going to be? Was God's promises of things great ever going to come true? Would Edom get away with the evil that it did to us? And that's the situation that Obadiah came into. And God spoke to these people, real people who really lived. And he speaks to us. And really, he's saying to them, answering the question, is God reliable? And the first part of Obadiah is about God's judgment on Edom, this relatives of the descendants of Israel. It was Jacob and Esau. Esau went on to become Edom, and Jacob was, they went on to become Israel. And back in Genesis chapter 25, Esau was a guy who was born first. Jacob grabbed, into his, grabbed his ankle, pulled him back in. When they were being born, they had conflict all the way through. Esau came back hunting one day. was just really tired, irritated. Uh, was hungry. sees Jacob making some soup, and he says, "Sell." And Jacob uh, he went, he says, "Give me some food." And Esau um, is just impulsive. He's ready to get rid of anything. He has no direction really well in his life. He'll just do anything to meet his immediate appetite. And Jacob, the conniver, says to him, "Sell me your birthright." And Esau had no concern for his birthright, and he sold it to Jacob for a pot of soup. And ever since then, there's this huge family conflict all the way through the New Testament, all the way through the Old Testament with the nation of Israel and Edom. And God says to this group of people in Obadiah who had been destroyed, who are just fledgling with all kinds of if questions, wondering, is God reliable? Can we trust God? Are the promises of God true? He says, look, this is what I do to proud people. See how Edom was way up high in the mountains. They they were they were thought that nobody can penetrate them. They had all kinds of money. Edom would not let the nation of Israel passed through when they were going to the promised land, which caused huge conflicts for Moses. And so they had this trail through their country that people would have to go through. And they would charge people huge amounts of taxes. So Eden wasn't a massive city, wasn't a massive people, but they had a lot of money because they charged un- unimaginable taxes to let people go through. So they had all these accounts of wealth. And God says, I can bring that down. They, they were perched way up high in the mountains. They thought nobody could catch us. There's still the city of Petra filled with, uh, that you can still explore today. There are accommodations. They thought nobody could reach us. They had unbelievable alliances with other countries. And they thought for sure we're safe. And they were smart. They had unbelievable academics. Unbelievable wisdom. And they thought, no, we, we've got all these things. We have it going for us. Nothing can happen to us. You can have all the money in the world. You can have the greatest accommodations in the world, the greatest alliances in the world, and the greatest smarts and academics in the world. But if you don't have God, you're in huge trouble. And God says, I can bring all of those things down. And he does. That's what he says in the first part of Obadiah. And he does it because not only were they proud, they took it out on their siblings, their their half-brothers, they took it out on their relatives, and they let the Babylonians come in and wipe them out. And then they encouraged the Babylonians to do that, and then they took their stuff. And God says, I'm not going to put up with that. I'll wipe out proud people, and I'll wipe out people who go after my people. God will judge those who are against the people of God. That's the first half of Obadiah. And it says in verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all The nations, all through the Bible, the Old Testament talks about this day of the Lord. It's this event. It's not just a particular day. It's a time when God's going to judge the world or judge a situation. The day of the Lord is coming. It says, it says in verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near. And now after Obadiah says to the people, listen, hey, the people that just wiped you out, the Edomites, I'm going to wipe them out. But listen this, and he opens it up really wide for all of us. So there's more than just the, that event back then. He says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, plural. And God makes this much bigger. He says, the judgment of God is going to come, not just on Edom, but it's going to come on all nations that are against my people. The day of the Lord is coming. Not only will it come on all people the judgment of God comes on individuals who go against God. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. Which is exactly what he said in verse 15 at the bottom. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. And when God's judgment comes when the day of the lord comes it's a real thing and it's a unbelievably frightening thing it says in isaiah chapter 12 talking about the day of the lord verse 6 wait for the day of the lord is near as destruction from the almighty it will come Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will, not, I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. When God describes the day of the Lord, it should stir us. Saying that in America, in the Midwest, to any average person would say, "Paul, you are the most—you're an idiot to believe something like that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why would you possibly believe that that's going to happen? Now, we we are secure, we are safe, we are good people. Things are nice. We have a good—we do a lot of good things. And God says the day of the Lord is coming against his enemies. He's going to judge sin." He's going to judge pride. It's the day of the Lord. It's near, which means it's imminent. It could happen at any time when he decides. You say, wow, man, God sounds mean. This is why I don't read the Old Testament. This is why people turn away from God. They don't like to hear that God is going to judge the world. But if you read the next book of the Old Testament... And you read Ezekiel 33:11 it says this God says say to them as I live declares the Lord I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn back turn back from your evil ways for why will you die God doesn't want people to suffer he doesn't want them to feel the wrath that's coming he doesn't want to do it. Actually, and when you read the book of Jonah, the next book of the Bible in the Old Testament, it's Jonah who actually has a hard time with the grace of God. It's Jonah who does not want to go and share, hey, God's going to relieve the, the, the pressure. God's going to let you go if you repent. Jonah is the one who says, I don't want to say that to people. And then when the people do repent, when they Nineveh does return back to God, Jonah's ticked off at the end, saying, how can God be so gracious to that? God does not take any pleasure in the idea of destroying wickedness, but he will because God is holy and God is just. He's going to wipe out evil one day fully, and he will wipe out those who participate in it, and he takes no pleasure in it, which is why he wrote the book of Obadiah, which is why he gave us the book of Jonah, which is why he gave us the gospel, to say you don't have to come under the wrath of God. The whole second half of the book of Obadiah is absolute hope for the people of God, that yes, God is reliable, because he, after all that scary truth, he says in verse 17, but in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy there's all kinds of things going on in our world just in the last couple of weeks in our country, in our own lives, in our own personal realities and sometimes as the people of God we look around, we see all the horrific things going on, we see the changing of the tides of things and we say, how long, oh God, how long are you really reliable God? Is it really true that you're going to judge evil? Is it really true you're going to put a stop to evil? Really? Because it doesn't seem like that. But God is reliable, he says from the book of Obadiah, because he says, but. But God still is reliable. The first half of Obadiah is God saying, I'm going to judge evil. I'm going to judge pride. So repent and humble yourselves. And the second half of Obadiah is saying, there's absolute hope for those who follow me. quirky way to remember what the book of Obadiah is about is when you see the prophecy of God, you could just say, oh, I mean, this is God saying, oh, listen to this. And then he says, oh, bad eye. I is pride. The par- it is, do not have pride. But the second half is, ah, God's reliable. God is in control. God is reliable for the people of God and for us today because he sent a Savior for your life. And the God that we are talking about is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the God that we're talking about, Jesus Christ, his Son, and our Lord. And the reason that we know that God is reliable is the reason that you can know that God is reliable in the midst of all the craziness that you may see around you or in you or you may feel, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the way you can know that you can have this hope that you can say, ah, is because God is reliable and he sent a savior for your life. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. Christianity is a rescuing faith. It's God who broke into our world. Who, who, we, we were against God. We, we, nobody, there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us would have turned to God. We have no desire for God. We never would have come up with the idea to turn to God. Our pride would have kept us down. But God in his grace, he said, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to rescue you. Christianity is a rescuing faith that says, you can't do anything on your own. It's everything that I have to do for you. Yesterday, tragically, a 17-year-old boy... Was found in Lake Michigan, drowned. And I saw the picture in the newspaper, and it took to rescue one 17 year old boy who tragically drowned. There had to be about 30 emergency workers to take one person out of the world, out of the water. God sent his son, sent Jesus Christ to us. To rescue us and that's who we wait for first thessalonians 1 says to wait for his son From heaven whom he raised from the dead jesus who delivers us From the wrath to come we don't have to suffer the wrath to come Jesus has rescued us from the wrath to come god's reliable because he sent a savior to save you He said some are going to escape the wrath of god the judgment of god the day of the lord is coming I don't want you to have to suffer it so but I am going to tell you this. Some of them are, some of you will escape it. And the way you'll escape it is by seeing Jesus for who he is and seeing that he can be your savior. Hebrews, chapter 20, 12, verse 22 says this, but you have come to Mount Zion exactly where Obadiah said the rescue would come. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is... Speaking, we don't have to suffer the wrath of God because God is reliable, He sent us a Savior. The gospel says that if we see ourselves as sinners and confess with our mouth and repent and turn to Jesus Christ, we are rescued, we are saved. The wrath of God is no longer on us, it's all was put on Jesus Christ. He was our mediator, He took our place. An unbelievable amazing grace. God's absolutely reliable because he sent you a savior. And God is reliable because he is sovereign over your life. When Obadiah wrote this, it says in verses 1 to 2, says, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise up against her for battle. When The people of Israel were suffering, trying to figure out what's going to go on with us. Is God going to punish us again? Is he going to send us back into exile? Are we going to survive this, or are we all just going to die out here? Are we going to be able to make it? And then all of a sudden, there's this big stirring. People start to turn against Edom. Their allies start to turn. And Obadiah sees that. And that's what God uses to say, listen, now go prophesy this and tell them this is what took place. Who started to turn the hearts of those allied kings against Edom? It was God. God sovereignly knew what he was going to do. God sovereignly is in control of your life. Even when it comes to Jacob and Esau, the Bible says that God loved Jacob and Esau he hated. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 all talks about this. God's sovereign over everything. Edom did fall eventually. A number of years after this took place, the nation was gone, it disappeared, and for a thousand years, nobody even knew that Edom existed or where it existed. A thousand years later, it was discovered again, but it was buried in the sand. The judgment of God did come on Edom, just like God said it would, because God's sovereign over all areas of our life. It's God who turns the hearts of the kings The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. It's God who designs our and sovereign over our plans. A man's steps are from the Lord. How can they be? How can man understand his ways? It's God who calls us to himself for salvation. It's God who controls when we live and when we die. God is absolutely sovereign over our lives. And that should help us see that God is absolutely reliable. This week was a tough week. In many ways, kind of bad news all around. And Tuesday afternoon, getting ready to pack some things up, getting things done after food pantry, and I get an email from somebody and says, "Hey Paul, how you doing? Haven't talked to you in a while. Thinking about you. How can I? How can I pray for you?" About forty-five minutes later, I'm still getting stuff put together. Got another email from a friend. Say, "Hey man, how's it, how's it going? I was thinking about you. Praying for you. I thought it was odd that two in a row. That evening, I needed that prayer, and the rest of the week I needed that prayer. And God, in His absolute providence, sovereignly over everything, in my little situation, in my little." world I said, Paul, I'm reliable. I'm sovereign. I, I know what you're going through, so I'm going to send a couple people to email you and prepare you in advance. I'm going to reveal some things to you in a little bit, and I'm going to give you the ability to make it through because I'm reliable, because I'm sovereign over your life. And he's sovereign over your life. As well, if you are not connecting the dots of God's providence in your life, you're missing out on one of the best ways to turn back praise to God. Why should you think about the sovereignty of God? Why should you think about the reality, the reliability that having a God sovereign in your life be important to you? Because when you look back and you see what you're going through and you realize and can connect the dots and say, "Wow." That took place because of this reason, because God loves me. God's sovereignly in control, even though I don't deserve it. That humbles you and brings you up to praise. That was a big, tough situation this week, but towards the end of the week, I'm coming back to the church from Walmart, and I pull up to Sandy Bluff Road, and all of a sudden the train tracks go down, and there's no train coming anywhere. And I almost got irritated, and then all of a sudden the train track goes back up, and another car comes up the hill and parks there, and for the, that moment and I, I'm not usually not this quick, for that moment, I thought, "Wait a second. What if I was flying down Sandy Bluff Road and came down that hill and that white car was right there, and I wasn't paying attention, and God just protected me from a head-on collision. I think that happened. That's how God sovereignly works things. He can control all types of things in your life. Caleb and Kelly Duvick just just lost their son and all the horrific sadness that it is that they want to glorify God in that. We don't know all the reasons why that took place. But I do know that as they left the hospital on Friday... They couldn't find their parking pass to try to get out of there. So they had to go back to the hospital, they went to the counter to talk to the lady at the counter. And she was asking them, why were you here? And they told them, hey, we lost our baby. And she said to them, I lost my son, too, as a baby. And then she just lost another son or child as an adult. And she asked them, how are you going to get through? And they were able to tell them the hope that they had in Jesus And Kelly's planning on going back this next week. They changed phone numbers, and Kelly's planning on going back next week to talk to them. We don't know why God lets babies die, but He's sovereign. And he has thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reasons for it. And so we need to see that God's reliable. And we need to see that we need to connect his providence to our lives and connect the dots that bring us so we can trust in him. John Flavel was an old Puritan hundreds of years ago. He wrote a book on the providence of God. And he said this at the last part of his book. He said, when it comes to the providence of God in your life, here's what you need to do. You need to write it down and don't trust your memory. Write it down. Don't trust your memory. Journal things out. Say, this is when God came through for us. This is what he did for the book of Obadiah. And he says, review it often. Think back and say, hey, if I'm going through a tough time now, remember what God did here? Review it often, not just for your remembering, but for your help in your present situation. And then he said, don't diminish your past difficulties and dangers When comparing the new ones, because we often feel like the thing we're going through right now is the most difficult thing. And we we made it through that, but now I got to face this and there's no way I'm going to get through this. Is God going to be reliable now? And all these times in the past, God's been reliable to us. So we need to connect the dots of God's sovereign providence in our lives and encourage ourselves with it and be able to trust in him, which is why we have this praise book right here. As a church, so people can come and write and say, Hey, this is where God providentially worked in my life. This is how He's sovereignly in control. Listen, Cornerstone, you can trust God. He's reliable. That's what Obadiah is telling these people. He says, In Mount Zion, there will be an escape, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. I'm telling you this, he said, because it's going to happen. Edom's going to be just destroyed. I'm the one who's sovereignly in control. I'm absolutely. Reliable, and then he said, "God is reliable." I would say, "God is reliable because He can salvage every area of your life." And for some of you, this is very important. When in verses eighteen through twenty, it says, "The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble." Verse 19, those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. It's talking about all the people of God, all the nation of Israel is going to expand it. All the promises that God made to them, how they are going to own the land, they are going to prosper in the land, they lost it all. And now God says, listen, I'm going to give all my people back the land that I promised them. The Negev is the desert of Israel. And then there's the plains of Israel. And then there's the very fruitful parts of Israel. And then there's the ocean parts of Israel, which all, in many ways, pictures our lives. We have desert areas of our lives, things we don't want people to know about, things that we don't want people talking about. And we have great times in our lives where God's blessed us, huge blessings, good things going on. And then we just have the plains times where we're planting things, we're waiting for things to grow. Don't we? God restored back, and he said, I'm going to promise you, I will restore everything that I promised to you. Because God is reliable. Which I just want to say, God is reliable because he can salvage every area of your life. You might think you have some very broken moments or wasted years or very damaging things have happened to you. You think, how can God redeem that? How can anything good come from that? The book of Obadiah and God says, I can salvage anything. I can take the deserts and make a good that you'll want it back i can take the planes i can take all of it god will intervene and salvage our lives and even the exiles he gives us those things because god that's what he got god does in our lives. he transforms and helps our lives and i would just say how does this help us now that god is reliable and that he's sovereign and he can salvage things how that should that look out for us as people Today, verses 18 says, The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. I believe that, as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, I believe that the Old Testament is all pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is the true and complete Israel. I also believe that the church is the true spiritual Israel. We are the descendants of Abraham spiritually. When God said to Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, he was talking about us today, the Gentiles and the Jews together. We would be grafted in. And I also believe from the book of Obadiah that God was promising to the nation of Israel that one day they would be restored. I think all three of those things are true. I don't know how all they are going to work out but I do know this that we as American Christians need to make sure that it's the kingdom of God we see as greater than the kingdom of man. And often we'll say, Yeah, Jesus is king and America is queen. And sometimes Jesus is sleeping, so we're going to really lift up Jesus, the Queen America. And we will wrap our Christianity around politics and god says don't do that i'm king i'm sovereign i'm under control god can use a nation for his purposes and i've actually heard preachers even in this local area say that america is the last great hope for the world no jesus has always been and always will be and is the only hope for the world it is Good to be an American. It's the grace of God on our lives. But if we look to a political figure, politically or even spiritually, and lift somebody up, that's not saying that Jesus is king. He reigns supreme over everything. And so we need to be very careful that we don't tie our Christianity with our patriotism. And see, this is a gift of God, but this is supreme over everything. America will not stand at the end of the time. America will be judged for the things that have taken place. and God's grace, we pray that revival would change, that we would be like the people in Jonah's day and would repent. But Jesus is still king overall. Jesus still reigns supreme. And the kingdom of God is now. Jesus said, I came and I preached the kingdom of God. He he came to preach his kingdom. His kingdom has come, which means for us as followers of Jesus knows that God's reliable. Even through the difficult times of our lives, there's still, even in the difficulties, there's great joy because we as Christians know that Jesus reigns. He reigns supreme. He's our hope. He is reliable. We need to remind ourselves often of it, but we know that he reigns supreme. And so, Not only do we make sure that the kingdom of God is always greater than any kingdom of man, but the kingdom of God is here now, and we can move it further. What's what we're called to do? Jesus said this of the church. He called it, and it's to be a radiant bride, a city on a hill, a light of the world which means we are called to move the kingdom of God, even in very, very dark times. Even when it seems that everybody's thinking differently than the way we think, thinking against the way scripture says, the church is still to move and to pray for its leaders and live humble and quiet lives so that other people will see that Jesus is king. Their hope is in something different. And when you live that way, if we live that way as a church, we will be a light. We will fight for justice, that justice would be done. Because God desires justice done, but we'll also have great joy. And people will look at us and say, wow. Wow. In the midst of great difficulty, in the midst of great hardship, they are working for justice. But Man, they are the happiest people that I possibly have ever met. There is absolute joy in them. There's a security in them that I don't have. And hopefully through that, other people's lives would be woke up to the gospel. If Caleb and Kelly are able to deal with this and talk to this lady who's gone through an unbelievable, both of them, an unbelievable difficult thing, Because Caleb and Kelly know Jesus Christ and it's their desire to worship him, it's going to be very difficult for them. But they're doing it with a hope that this lady does not have. And the more time they see each other, it's going to rub off. The joy, even in the pain, will be there because God is the king of everything. It says in verse 21, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Edom was destroyed and it was wiped out. And Satan has always wanted to wipe out his people, God's people. Satan has always wanted to destroy the hope that we have. But in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 2, there's a king called Herod the Great who was said to be the wealthiest man that existed in his time and the greatest builder who existed in his time. And he was in charge when a little baby was born in Bethlehem in a manger who was said to be the king of the Jews, and Herod got ticked off about it. Herod was an Edomene who was a descendant of Edom. And Herod said, I'm going to wipe out all the children of Bethlehem. And God said, no, you're not. I'm going to move my son to Egypt. And then it says in Matthew chapter 2, then Herod died, but Jesus lived. He lived a life perfectly. He died on the cross for our sins. He rescued us. And he rose again. And Jesus lives today. Edom is gone. Herod is gone. But Jesus reigns. His kingdom will reign forever. And because of Jesus, God is reliable. And we can rest and the reality that God is forever reliable. And he just calls us to hope in God.
1: You're in a better place heard a thousand times and at least a thousand times I've rejoiced for you but the reason why I'm broken the reason why I cry is how long must I wait to be with you I close my eyes and I see your face If home's where my heart is, then I'm out of place Lord, won't you give me strength to make it through somehow I've never been more homesick than I I don't understand your ways The reason why I wonder if I'll ever know But even if you showed me The hurt would be the same Cause I'm still here So far away from home homes where my heart is, then I'm out of place. Lord, won't you give me strength to make it through somehow. I've never been